You are listening to the audio preaching podcast from Heritage Baptist Church in Corpus Christi, Texas, led by Pastor Johnny Chen. Our church is dedicated to serving Jesus Christ and reaching the world by going forward with the gospel. We pray that you will be helped and blessed by this message from God's Word. All right, we'll just get right into the message. There's no way I'm going to get through it all, um, but I wouldn't have it any other way. So let's go ahead and turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Last week we looked at uh, how there's many different characteristics in the Christian life that we aren't just supposed to possess and do. The Christian life is more than just possessing Christian characteristics. The Christian life is more than just simply doing what we are called to do. We are supposed to abound in those things. As you're turning to 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 1, listen here as I read again 2 Peter chapter 1, starting in verse 5. Add to your faith virtue, and to virtue knowledge, and to knowledge temperance, and to temperance patience, and to patience godliness, and to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness charity. For if these things be in you, that's step one, that's good, if these things be in you, and abound, not just supposed to be in you, but also abound, they make you that ye shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus came not only that we might have life, but that we might have it more abundantly, not just abundantly, more abundantly. Why do we so often as Christians live spiritually paycheck to paycheck? Let's all stand together now that we've found our place in 2 Corinthians chapter 1. We're going to start reading in verse 3. We'll read all together, and we will read until verse 6. Let's start together. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 3. Ready, begin. Blessed be God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforteth us in all our tribulation that we may be able to comfort them which are in any trouble, by the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted of God. For as the sufferings of Christ abound in us, so our consolation also aboundeth by Christ. And whether we be afflicted, it is for your consolation and salvation, which is effectual in the enduring of the same suffering which we also suffer. Or whether we be comforted, it is for your consolation and salvation. Lord, please bless the message. Let it sink deeply into our hearts, Lord, as you have already uh, worked through the missionary and the visiting pastor. Lord, please use me now. I ask this in your precious name. Amen. You may be seated. We learned about love last week. It's good that you have love for God. It's good that you have love for others. It's good that you have love for your brothers. But can our love for God can our love for others, can our love for brothers be, can, be described as abundant love? And abundance is something that has to come out. And abundance is something that you are not afraid of running out of. Now, I, I don't know how far the Lord would have me take this series. We're calling the series Man Overboard. We need some more Christians who will go overboard for the Lord. <laughs> Making an offer on a building... That is worth half a million dollars with only $4,500 in the bank. Many people would call that overboard, but look at what the Lord is doing with it. Buying another, starting another bus route, when things are, are going the opposite, that many people would say that's overboard. 
but the, I think the Lord likes overboard. And whenever you read Paul's writings, he's constantly talking about abundance, more abundantly, exceeding, exceedingly abundantly above. He uses these words over and over and over. We learned about love last week, and honestly, I could have stopped at that message right there because if we learn simply how to abound in love for God, for others, for brothers, everything else in this series would work itself out. Any, any lack in our Christian life begins with a lack of love. That's why the Bible says you can hang all the law and the prophets on love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. Abundant love is the spark that lights the fire of obedience in the heart. I know that all of you have love for God. I don't believe that you would be here if you didn't have some love in your heart for God. When you have love for God, you may do what is right simply out of the fear of what would happen if you did wrong. You would say, oh, I can't do wrong because I fear. Now, that's fine. But when we abound in love for God, it's different. We look at wrong and say with Joseph, how then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? When you have love, you may say, I can't because I fear. When you abound in love, you say, I won't because I love. Fear is a deterrent from wrong, and we should fear the Lord and reverence the Lord and understand that our earthly decisions have heavenly consequences. Fear is a deterrent from wrong. Love is a motivator for right. And as a Christian and as a disciple, we aren't just supposed to cease to do evil. We must learn to do well, Isaiah 1 says. Love is a motivator even through this next area where Christians are told to abound. Now, if I were to have you raise your hand and say, how many of you would like to say, when I die, I would love for people to look at me and say that I abounded in love for God. How many of you would like to abound in love? I think everybody would raise their hand. How many of you would raise your hand when I say, how many of you want to abound in suffering? Now, we all have suffering, don't we? We all possess suffering. I think in every pew, I think behind every smile here tonight, there's a heart that's breaking or there's a heart that's broken. We all have suffering, and to be perfectly honest, just having suffering is difficult enough, but abounding in suffering? 2 Corinthians 1 is talking about abundant Suffering. How can anybody approach abundant suffering with some positivity? Who in their right mind would agree to not only have suffering, but abound in it? And here's what I'll say. People in their right mind, people in their right mind don't agree to abound in suffering. But people in their righteous mind will. Because there's a couple things that I want to bring out to you about this matter of suffering. You have to come to the realization, church, that living as a Christian in a wicked world is not going to be a bed of roses. The price of Christianity in a wicked world is suffering. All that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. You don't have to be a Christian for long to say that or to see that. But if we're not careful, here's what I want to bring out. If we are not careful, we will reach a point in our life and we can find areas in our life where we compromise or we conform or we concede to the world to spare ourselves from suffering. 
I could name person after person, family after family, church after church that reached a certain point in their Christian life and they would go no further. They reached a certain point and wouldn't go further because they knew that going further would bring hardship. How many people and families could you name that seemed to be on fire for God and suddenly they slow down, even stop completely? Why does that happen? I'll tell us why. The price of Christianity in a wicked world is suffering. The more of a Christian you are, the more suffering you will have in this wicked world. And many believers are happy to be less of a Christian if it means less suffering. But this passage shows us by avoiding the suffering of Christ, we avoid the consolation by Christ. Do you see that in verse 5? For as the sufferings of Christ abound in us, so our consolation also aboundeth by Christ. So through this message, and it'll probably be a two-parter, maybe this week and next week. I, might, I just have three points. I might get through point number one tonight. Through this message, I want us to show us two things about this matter of abounding in suffering. One, I already told you, suffering is the price of Christianity. But number two, as with anything in Christianity, you can't outgive God. For every drop of suffering that we face as a Christian, we receive comfort by Christ in measure. Little suffering, little comfort. Abounding suffering, abundant suffering, abundant comfort. It's a simple promise. The more we live for him, the more suffering we will face in this world. It's a part of it. But the more suffering we face for his sake, the more comfort he gives to help us through. I can give verses to back this up. For sake of time, just let me read it. Listen to Matthew chapter 5, the Sermon on the Mount, verse 10. Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. That seems a pretty good trade-off to me. I don't like being persecuted for righteousness' sake, do you? But theirs is the kingdom of heaven. There's some consolation that goes along with the suffering. Verse 11. Blessed are ye. Blessed are ye. Happy are ye. When? When men shall revile you and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake, rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven. Mark chapter 10, listen to this, verse 29 and 30. And Jesus answered and said, Verily I say unto you, there is no man that hath left house or brethren or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my sake in the gospels, but he shall receive in hundredfold now in this time, houses and brethren and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the world to come, eternal life. Now, as easy as those verses are to read, they're a lot harder to understand and to put into practice. How can we find comfort in discomfort? That's the question. That's the question that a human mind is going to ask when we read abundant suffering and also abundant consolation. How do we find comfort in discomfort? 
How do we find peace in tribulation? After tribulation, I can understand that. But peace in tribulation? How can we abound in consolation when we're being abused by suffering? How is that possible? Well, those verses we just read, they explained God's promise. It should be enough for us to believe that God promised us, no matter what you go through, how deep it is, my comfort will be there. My consolation will be there. Don't let the prospect of more suffering keep you from serving God. Yes, the more you serve God, the more suffering you may face. The more suffering you will face, but the more consolation you will have from God to see you through. Those verses say that, but isn't it just like God to not only explain his promise, he illustrates his promise. He doesn't have to illustrate it, but he does. There is a perfect illustration of this promise in the book of Acts. And that's what we're going to look at. The story illustrates how even in discomfort you can find comfort, how even in tribulation you can have peace, how even in abuse you can abound. If I were to ask you, name somebody who suffered for Christianity in the Bible. The list would not go long before you mentioned the name Stephen. His story is going to show us how even in the face of the greatest suffering, you can find the greatest consolation. Turn there with me. Acts chapter 6. Acts chapter 6. This is a Wednesday night crowd. You came here to be encouraged. Stay with me. I know that you're not very encouraged right now, but stay with me. Nobody likes suffering. You never will. We're supposed to find joy in it. Joy is something that you can always have. Doesn't mean we always like it. Doesn't mean we always understand it. But I want, I want to show you this incredible story here of Stephen. Look in verse 8 of chapter 6. And Stephen, full of faith and power, did great wonders and miracles among the people. Then there arose certain of the synagogue, which is called the synagogue of the Libertines. They were from Rome, Cyrenians. They were from kind of the north coast of Africa. Alexandrians from Egypt, Sicilians from Turkey, Asia from Turkey and Greece, disputing with Stephen. And they were not able to resist the wisdom and the spirit by which he spake. Then they suborned, they bribed men, which said, We have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and against God. And they stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes and came upon him and caught him and brought him to the council. This is the Sanhedrin. And set up false witnesses which said, This man ceaseth not to speak blasphemous words against his holy place in the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth shall destroy this place and shall change the customs which Moses delivered us. And all that sat in the council looking steadfastly on him saw his face as it had been the face of an angel. Chapter 7, verse 1, Then said the high priest, Are these things so? And he said, Men and brethren and fathers, hearken. The God of glory appeared unto our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia before he dwelt in Sharon. What I wish to bring out at this point is Stephen is being presented with a choice. Choice number one, he can either compromise and concede or conform to this opposition from the world and save himself from some suffering. He would still be saved, right? Still be saved. Still go to heaven someday. He could easily at this point say, look, I, I, didn't, want, 
I didn't want all this trouble. You just let me go and you'll never hear from me again. He could easily say that. That's choice number one. Or he could stand strong and face great suffering. Again, he's standing in front of the Sanhedrin. You know the Sanhedrin? The group that sentenced Jesus to death? The group that has already arrested the apostles twice? The group that has beaten them for preaching about Jesus? He knew exactly who he was standing in front of. He knew exactly what standing for Jesus at this moment. He knew exactly what being a Christian at this moment was going to bring to him. He knew it. And we also know what choice he made. He starts preaching a sermon. And to make it short, he explains how history is his story. How everything was working for Jesus to come and be the Messiah that they rejected. He says, just like your fathers rejected Moses, you rejected Christ. And just like your fathers rejected the prophets, you rejected Christ. And he didn't hold back. Look in verse 51. Ye stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears. Ye do always resist the Holy Ghost as your fathers did, so do ye. Which of the prophets have not your fathers persecuted? And they have slain them which showed before of the coming of the just one, of whom ye have been now the betrayers and murderers, who have received the law by the disposition of angels and have not kept it. And when they heard these things, they were cut to the heart and gnashed on him with their teeth. Time out. That's what preaching should do. Hear me tonight, the world, the flesh, and the devil is not going to support you. They will never support Christianity. They won't support it. They won't ignore it. They won't compromise with it. So if you're wondering why is all this compromise happening at so-called churches, that's not Christianity. If the devil will compromise with it, it's not Christianity. They will fight against it with all the powers of hell. Do we understand that? Do we understand this isn't a game? This is a fight over eternal souls. To be a Christian is to be their enemy. Not a slight inconvenience. We are their enemy. Do we understand that? Therefore, if we will be a Christian, we will also be presented with the choice that Stephen faced. Back down and have peace. Or stand strong and have suffering in the world. But remember, to be a Christian... We're not just supposed to have suffering. We're talking about abounding in it. I'm looking for people tonight who will say, if, if being a Christian means abounding in suffering, so be it. I'm willing to pay that price. God has promised that no suffering we face will ever outweigh the consolation that he will bring to see you through. Now let me prove it to you. Stephen certainly faced great suffering, suffering that ultimately led to his death. But notice with me, first of all, suffering made Stephen see. Suffering made Stephen see. Look in verse 55. But he, being full of the Holy Ghost, looked up steadfastly into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing on the right hand of God. You will find it to be true that our greatest view of God does not come on the sunny days. It comes in the stormy days. Our greatest view of God doesn't come on the mountaintops, but in the valley bottoms. It wasn't when Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah were promoted that they saw God. 
It's when they were thrown in the fiery furnace. Those boys could have easily told Nebuchadnezzar, we don't want any trouble, we'll bow. Maybe they could have justified it by saying, we're bowing on the outside, but we're standing on the inside. Every other Jew was doing that. They would have been saved from much suffering. Now, we know the story that not even the smell of smoke stood on it. They didn't know that. Do you think they liked it when they were being bound? Do you think they liked hearing Nebuchadnezzar saying, turn it up seven times? Our Lord will deliver us, but if not, we're still going to stand. Elijah faced great suffering at the hands of Ahab and Jezebel. It nearly ended his ministry. But it was through that suffering that God led him to Mount Sinai, and he met with God like he had never met God before. The sweetest Psalms of David were Psalms written during times of suffering. It was when David was on the run from his own son that he wrote, Thou, O Lord, art a shield for me, my glory and the lifter up of mine head. It was when he was running from Saul that he wrote, The Lord is in his holy temple, the Lord's throne is in heaven. His eyes behold, his eyelids try the children of men. It was in the backside of the desert of Midian where Moses saw God in the burning bush. While he was enduring great suffering, in his call to deliver the people. In fact, Stephen talks about it. He says, Moses thought the people would have understood that he was there to deliver them, but they understood not. Hebrews 11 says, during that time in Midian, by faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. Job endured more suffering at the hand of the devil than any other man in the Bible, save the Lord. But it was through suffering that Job said, I have heard of thee by the hearing of the ear, but now mine eye seeth thee. I don't like suffering. I never will. Will you? I'm not telling you to. But when I look back at the sweetest times of fellowship with God in my life, when I look back at the times when he seemed so close, I could reach out and I could grab him and hold him. When I remember the times he spoke so clearly to me through his word or through a preacher, when I remember the times when tears of sorrow began to flow, but suddenly they turned to tears of great consolation and the peace that passeth all understanding flooded my soul. Those were times of great suffering for me. It was in the valley when I saw him the best. When I remember the times I felt closest to my Savior, they were times when I felt the most alone. Now, I am not telling us to go looking for suffering in order to see God. We live in a wicked world. How many of you have had to go looking for suffering lately? It finds you. Teachers always used to ask me, Johnny, are you staying out of trouble? Or is it finding you? And I'd say it's finding me. Suffering finds you. It will come to you on its own simply because you're a Christian living in a wicked world. And the devil doesn't like it. The devil isn't going to fight against somebody who isn't going to cause any threat, bring any threat to him. He's going to attack Christians. 1 Peter 2.21, Hereunto were ye called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that ye should follow in his steps. Simply being a Christian will always bring suffering. Being a Christian means taking up a cross. Amen. I'm not saying that if we wish to see God, we need to look for ways to suffer for his name. 
Here's what I'm saying. When suffering comes, stop looking around at all the suffering and look up. That's what I'm saying. Don't look at the circumstances. Look unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Count it all joy that he would count you worthy to suffer shame for his name. 2 Timothy 2.12, if we suffer, we shall also reign with him. When's the last time you looked up? When suffering comes, stop looking for a way out of the suffering. Why don't you look for the Savior who promised to walk with you through the suffering? When's the last time we've done that? Will you see the heavens opened like Stephen did? Will you see the clouds rolled back like a scroll? Will you have a vision of the heavenly throne room? Oh, yes, you will. No, not in the clouds, but in his word you will. Why is it during times of suffering we stop looking for God in his word? Admit it. We stop reading. We stop praying. We stop coming to church because we're too busy looking around at the suffering rather than looking up to the Lord. Sometimes, Christian, he allows suffering because he has no other way to get your attention. What does he have to do? I remember a lady who's, who's coming. I'll, I'll stop at point one. I don't want to, but I'm going to. I'm, I'm, I just might. I don't know what I'm going to do just yet. But I'm glad the Holy Spirit does. A lady who came to me called, and I, my, marriage is, my marriage is gone. My husband just walked out on me, and he took the kids with him, and I need to be in church. She came to church one time. If that's what the Lord has to do, if the Lord has to take the lady's marriage, if the Lord has to take the lady's children, if the, to get her in church one time, what is it going to do to get her to be faithful? To just simply to do, she was saved. She was saved, she was baptized, she knew better. Just to get in church one time? I remember hearing a story of a pastor who watched a lady in his church. And by the way, I, I, I watch, I see. And he saw a lady in his church that was struggling. Wasn't, wasn't the way she usually was. Constantly down. Would come to church and kind of keep off to herself, wouldn't talk to anybody, wouldn't really fellowship. And one day she came back and like everything was fine. Now, ladies can do that. But he watched, and he stood back. And men can do that, too. Men are just as emotional. And he watched, and he watched, and he watched. And she, she was fine. She was better. He went up to her, and he said, for, for about a month, I watched you, and you were down. And now, all of a sudden, you're better. What happened? And she said, I have to be honest. My life has just been in chaos with work, with family, extended family, friends, all of that stuff. My schedule has been crazy. They're changing everything around. And I, I got away from reading my Bible. She said, when I, when I came into church that day and I was happy, I read my Bible again. And I found what I needed. And he said, where were you reading? The Psalms? The Epistles? She said, I was reading in Leviticus. She said, part of the reason I stopped reading the Bible was because I was in the middle of Leviticus and getting nothing out of it. And instead of going to Psalms and the epistles, like I know I should have, I just stopped reading entirely. But I got back to it, and I started reading Leviticus, and I found what I wanted. And he said, what in the world did you find in Leviticus? And she said, in all my chaos, I read Leviticus, and I saw a God of order. 
everything was ordered. Everything was set in place. Everything was him teaching man how to live an ordered life. And it just simply reminded me that God was in control of everything. Leviticus. Sometimes suffering is what gets us to see. But you have to open your eyes. And you have to look in the right places. Why are we looking at the suffering instead of the Savior? I am going to keep going because it's just getting good. Number two, suffering made Jesus stand. So Hebrews 10.12 says, but this man, talking about Jesus, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down on the right hand of God. But no, not here. Not in Acts. Not when one of his children was suffering. Stephen said, I see the Son of Man standing on the right hand of God. You may not like the suffering you face. You may pray, let this cup pass from me. And church, sometimes God leads you through Eden. Many times he leads you through Gethsemane. You may think that God has forgotten you, but God said, a mother would forget her child before I ever forgot you. You may think, I don't see him. You may say, I don't see God. Stop looking around and look up. You'll see him. And when you do, you won't see a savior that's indifferent. You won't see a savior that's unloving. You won't see a savior that's uncaring. You won't see a savior that's sleeping. You may just be getting a glimpse of him, but trust his word. He's been watching you the entire time. He sees you. The one who sees every sparrow that falls sees every single child that suffers for his name. And he not only sees, he stands. Jesus stands for those, with those who suffer for him. Can you, can you picture that with me? Jesus sitting on the right hand of the Father, constantly making intercession for us because, oh, we need it. I'm working on a message right now. If Jesus stopped praying, what do you think would happen? And he's sitting there on the right hand, and he was watching everything that was happening with Stephen. And he sees him be arrested, and he sees him be falsely accused, and he sees him questioned, and he sees Stephen stand and make a difficult choice and then he sees those men take him and gnash on him with their teeth and begin to stone him. And Jesus stood up. Standing indicates something. You know what standing indicates? Standing indicates attention. I remember playing basketball. And whenever I would make a three-pointer or whenever I would maybe get fouled or something, fall down to the ground, I would look to the side and there was dad standing. Kind of like Zacchaeus, right? He needed to stand up to see. It was always disappointing to me whenever I would have maybe a, a good play or something like that, and I would look over and my parents would be sitting. They weren't paying attention. That would be disappointing to me. But Stephen looked up and he saw Jesus attentive to every single thing that he was going through. The devil is great at making us believe that suffering is a sign of abandonment. Our minds are great at convincing us that suffering means God has forsaken us because we can't understand a God who would love us so much to watch us 
and care over us the way that he does. David even admitted that. He says, Thou hast beset me before and behind. Whither shall I flee from thy presence? Such, such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It's too high. I cannot attain to it. I don't understand it. Jesus is watching you always, even in, especially in suffering. And not only watching, he's working. Standing not only indicates attention, it indicates intention. He's not just watching because he wants to get a better view. Jesus not only saw Moses in the desert, he stood up and he worked in that man's life to make him the greatest leader in the Bible. Jesus not only saw Elijah under that juniper tree, he stood up and he worked with 7,000 men who would not bow to Baal or kiss him. Jesus not only saw those three boys before Nebuchadnezzar, he stood up and he looked at his father and said, I'll be right back. I've got some work to do. I'm going to go down and make sure that fire burns nothing off of those boys but the bonds that hold them. Jesus saw, not only saw Paul and Silas in the jail, he stood up and he said, Dad, I'll be right back. I've got some work to do. I need to go home and shake that place and I'm going to save a jailer's soul through suffering. Jesus not only saw Stephen suffering for his name, he stood up. And the moment Stephen said, Lord, receive my spirit and lay not this sin to their charge, Jesus went to work and ushered that man into his heavenly home. And when his children today suffer for his name, Jesus stands up. He sees you. He's paying attention so that he can do something in your life and bring you through it. And you know what the last thing that standing shows me? Why did Jesus stand for Stephen? He supported him. Standing indicates support. Show me what you stand for, and I will show you what you support. We stand for the flag. Because we support our nation. When ladies walk, into this, walk onto this platform, the men stand it used to be whenever a lady walked into a room, the men would stand. You know why? Because we want to show ladies we support you. Godly Christian ladies who take a stand to dress modestly and carry themselves appropriately, we salute you. We support you. Men used to show that support for ladies. We stand for the reading of God's word. We stand and applaud when we agree with something in a speech or, or whatever it is. We stand when the home team scores or, or wins or something. Again, I don't know what you're watching. I've, I, I will be watching Sunday night. I don't want to see anybody missing because of a dumb Super Bowl. I'm serious. I'm serious. And, and to be honest, church, any other year, I may have done a little watch party of our own. But I am not going to support people who won't stand for the flag. And neither should you. Standing shows support. When, Stephen stood, when Jesus stood for Stephen, he was showing that he supported what Stephen was doing. Okay, Christian, you're going through suffering. When's the last time you looked up? What suffering could ever lie before you that is greater than a Savior that will stand with you? Look at verse 58, and I have to hurry. They cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at a young man's feet whose name was Saul. Suffering made Saul struggle. 
Saul heard Stephen's sermon. When the Bible says they were cut to the heart, the deepest gash was in the heart of Saul. From the outside, Saul was a Pharisee of Pharisees, educated at the feet of Gamaliel. From the outside, Saul was a man past feeling, a merciless persecutor, torturer, and murderer of Christians. But within, because of the suffering of Stephen, the seeds of the gospel of Jesus Christ were sown in that gash of conviction. And he fought it and fought it and fought it. But on that road to Damascus, Jesus revealed what nobody else could see. He said, Saul, Saul, isn't it hard? This has been hard on nobody but you. It's hard for thee to kick against the pricks. And the chiefest of sinners fell down on his face and said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? I'll tell you what. You're going to write more books in the Bible than any other person. You are going to preach the gospel to the Gentiles. You are going to lay the groundwork of church order and behavior. Paul's ministry, would anyone disagree that Paul's ministry has reached hundreds of millions of people? I believe with all my heart, Stephen reached Paul. Because God uses the suffering of saints to save sinners. Men bring persecution to stop the fire of the gospel from spreading. God uses it to spread the fire. I don't like suffering. I never will. I don't believe Stephen liked being arrested, falsely accused, questioned, gnashed on with teeth, and stoned to death. If Steve, if Stephen, I called him Steve, sorry. If Stephen just would have backed down, he would have been saved a lot of suffering. You know that? He would have been spared all of that suffering, but he never would have seen Jesus in the way that he did. Jesus never would have stood for Stephen. And who knows if Saul ever would have been saved. Talk to Stephen when you see him in heaven and ask him if his suffering was worth it. What do you think he'll say? I think he'd say, yes. I abounded in suffering, but God saw that I would also abound in consolation. It was through my suffering that I saw Jesus in ways that I'd never seen him before. It was through my suffering that I saw Jesus in glory, standing ready to act on my behalf. It was through my suffering that the great apostle Paul was reached. Worth it? A thousand times. In church, you need to understand your Christian life will bring suffering. I want all notes put away. Keep your Bible open. I want all notes put away and all eyes up here. Your Christian life will bring suffering. It will bring persecution from the world, the flesh, and the devil. It will. Because they don't like Christians and they never will. But like Stephen, you have a choice to make. And sadly, many Christians decide to back away just to save themselves a little suffering. Men won't stand at work. You're still a Christian. You're still going to heaven. You still come to church on Sundays, but you won't stand at work. Ladies won't dress modestly except for at church when we're surrounded by people who support us in that way. Teens won't drop bad friends. They won't go to Bible college. Christians won't avoid, avoid bad family influences. There came a point where I had to tell my family, no, I'm not going to that party. 
Christians won't be faithful to church. Christians won't be a witness because they say, if I stand or if I dress modestly everywhere I go, dresses not, not tight, down past the knee, covering our nakedness. And going back, ladies, that's why we salute you. Because that is easy, but it's right. And God bless you for taking a stand. Because men can't walk anywhere today without seeing more flesh and body than we have ever seen before in our life. It is a breath of fresh air to us, and we salute you for doing what is right. But many Christians say, if I stand or if I dress modestly, if I leave my friends at school, if I tell my family I can't go there, if I come to every service, if I go to Bible college, if I witness at work, it's going to make my life significantly more difficult. Yes, you're right. You're right. You will face some suffering in those things. The suffering you face will outweigh the consolation that the Lord will give to you to see you through. So even if the price of Christianity is suffering, even if the price of Christianity is abundant suffering, be a Christian. Amen. Be a strong Christian. Be a constant Christian. Dress right. Dress modestly. Stand for right. If sinners entice thee, consent thou not. Let the suffering come. It's through times of suffering you'll see God Jesus stands for those who suffer for him. And the world sees. And God will use it. This city needs a church. Church is. That will stand through suffering for his name. Thank you for listening to our audio preaching podcast. For more information about our ministries, or if you would like to get in contact with us, please visit our website at heritagebaptistcctx.org. May God bless you as you go forward with the gospel this week.